Good morning. Your interest in coming to this assembly is appreciated. Our assumption is that you are here because of your respect for God, your belief in Jesus Christ, and your desire to know what the Word of God teaches on every subject addressed. And then conduct your life accordingly. So we commend you for that purpose. We use the Bible here and we will begin with a reading that you've already heard but will hear again in Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. The subject I will address this morning has been treated with a lot of discussion in religious circles over the years. I do not foresee a time when it will not be wise to ignore this subject. From Scripture, I'll use a very simple approach I pray will be helpful in our understanding and in our daily walk with God. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This was after the resurrection of Christ. In these few words, Jesus gives urgency and focus to the work his apostles would be doing, the spread of the gospel and calling upon people to obey the gospel. And in that obedience, initially, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What did He do? What does He do? What do we need to do with what we have from the Holy Spirit. This is part of the series I'm working on this year, and I'm labeling this series with this phrase, what a difference it can make in your life when you just use the Bible. So in January, we were using the Bible to discover what it says about God, His existence, His nature, His grace. In February, we were using the Bible to discover what is said about Jesus Christ, who He is, what He did, where He is, what He requires. And so we come now to our study of the Holy Spirit. I should be clear in one sermon, I cannot answer every possible question or cover every passage that speaks of the Holy Spirit. I believe, however, I can use Scripture to introduce us to the Holy Spirit and to ground us in truth the Holy Spirit has revealed. 
using Scripture to guide us away from any confusion that might emerge in our thinking. That's my purpose, and I want to respond now. Here is where we are headed. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does He do? And what is He doing today that we need to know about in our knowledge and respond to in our action? We must proceed carefully with a clear mind, willing to be taught and willing to be corrected if necessary. As with any other Bible subject, we must not impose onto this subject the feelings, opinions, or impressions that we've held over many years. A clean, fresh look at the subject should never be feared. So, who is the Holy Spirit? And I want to tell you, I prefer who instead of what, because the Holy Spirit is a divine person, not an undefined force or thing, not a ghost or some kind of eerie influence. He is not some nebulous it with no personality or will. He is, in this Matthew passage we've read, he is to be named and exalted in baptism equal with the Father and the Son. So here in this Matthew passage, there are three divine persons and only three in this grouping, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you just start pulling up passages from your Bible about the Holy Spirit, he is described as divine and with personality and will. I offer only a few examples. In John 16, 13, he is guiding, speaking, and declaring truth to the apostles of Christ. He can bear witness according to John 15, 16, search hearts and make intercession on behalf of others, Romans 8, 26, and 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. So there are three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are only three in this eternal classification, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now think about other classifications. In the animal kingdom, there are innumerable members. In the human family, there are innumerable members. In the divine family, only three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three named in the passage you've heard twice this morning in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We need to be certain when we think and speak of the Holy Spirit that we do so correctly, that we never attribute something to Him that is not taught in Scripture. He was active in creation, according to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. He was active in revealing God's Word to the prophets in 2 Peter 1, 21 always working in perfect harmony with the Father and the Son to provide and offer to man the truth that we now have 
to live by every day. What did the Holy Spirit do in the first century? And by that I mean in the early days of the church, in the time of the apostles, during and before the time the New Testament was being written. In the Bible, I want you to consider just three examples of what the Holy Spirit did back in that early time frame. I could give you dozens, but I'm going to give you three. Luke 1.35 tells us the Holy Spirit caused a virgin to conceive a child. Acts chapter 2 tells us the Holy Spirit filled the apostles and they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were able to speak languages they had not learned. Acts 8.39 tells us after the baptism of the eunuch, Philip was caught away by the Holy Spirit so that the church or the eunuch saw him no more. I want to stress these are just three examples of what the Holy Spirit did in that time frame. I could go through everything, every passage, every instance of the Holy Spirit's work in the first century, but I think you understand we'd be here 40 days and 40 nights. So believing that would be outside the limits of the time frame, for our purpose, I want to bring up these three examples of what the Holy Spirit did back then. Caused a virgin to conceive. The Holy Spirit filled the apostles in such a specific manner they were able to function as apostles, speak languages they had not learned, and the Spirit gave them utterance of the gospel of Christ that we have written in this book. And the third example I gave was after Philip baptized the eunuch, the Holy Spirit caught Philip away. In the English Standard Version, carried Philip away. Now, the point of this, I want to lay down a premise. Listen very carefully here. This is an important premise in Bible study. The historical fact that the Holy Spirit did something in the first century cannot automatically mean he's doing the same thing today. I want to say that again. It's very important in the study of the Holy Spirit. The historical fact that the Holy Spirit did something in the first century cannot automatically mean he's doing the same thing today. The same observation can be made about God and the Son. Here's an example. In Acts chapter 5, God executed Ananias and his wife. By the way, it was because they lied to the Holy Spirit. The book of Hebrews argues that Jesus Christ died for us only once. And that's a critical argument in Hebrews, that his sacrifice was once for all. Now this is important. It has to do with the way people read the Bible and draw conclusions and get involved in beliefs and practices that need to be seriously revisited. There is no reason to read an event reported in the Bible and assume that the same thing is happening today. We don't do that with any historical record. We shouldn't do that with the Bible. 
I cannot, for example, read about something God did reported in the Old Testament and without any other instruction assume that God's doing the same thing today. That's not an objective reading or use of Scripture. So, the historical fact that the Holy Spirit did something in the first century cannot mean He has to be doing the same thing today. Is the Holy Spirit causing virgins to conceive? Are there apostles today being filled with the Spirit in the same way described in Acts chapter 2? Have you ever heard of or seen a preacher being called away as Philip was in Acts 8? One of the truths I believe I need to nail down when I talk to people about the Holy Spirit is this. You cannot look around in the religious world and see something exciting and thumb through the pages of the Bible and find something that looks like that and then jump into that with both feet. That's just not the way to be a Christian or to handle God's Word. Read the book the Holy Spirit gave and handle it rightly, objectively, and in context. Read Scripture and let God's Word inform and direct all your knowledge and claims. That way, you're not following a crowd, emotion, or jumping to conclusions. You're following Christ. When you read and study and obey this book, you're not going where the excitement is according to the claims of men. You're going where truth and joy and hope is according to what the Holy Spirit gave us, the Word. Let the Word excite your passion. Let the Word discipline your life. Let the Word direct you in how to understand things and what to do, what to teach. In the first century, the Holy Spirit empowered the apostles gave special gifts to some Christians, confirmed the delivery of the gospel through signs and wonders. He engineered evangelism to get things started initially. He gave persecuted apostles the very words they would speak in court. He spoke to the seven churches in Asia through John, he expressly, through the Apostle Paul, spoke of events and apostasy that was ahead. See, it is a popular assumption, but not an authentic use of Scripture to just assert that everything the Holy Spirit did, He has to still be doing today. The Holy Spirit is an eternal, divine person, who was active in the first century empowering the apostles and revealing the message that we have in this book he gave. He is not an exotic phenomenon of mainly emotional significance. He is not the generator of external excitement that has no connection to the word. He is not a director of your life apart from the word he has delivered.
Now, what do we need to know about what the Holy Spirit is doing today? First, I can't in some sort of exhaustive treatment tell you everything God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are doing today in the realm of providence and answered prayer. We don't need to know all of that. God will do as he wills in response to prayers and in the exercise of his wise providence. And to whatever extent the Son and the Spirit are active with the Father, we don't need to be consulted or informed. There are certainties we hold to. When a lost sinner obeys the gospel, that person enters into relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three. It is said in Scripture that all three <clears throat> dwell in Christians. But that indwelling never means any conflict with what's here in the book. Nor does it ever minimize the attention and the energy we must give to what is written by the Spirit in the written word. There is no passage in the Bible that says the written word is good, but just wait. The Holy Spirit will send you a personal message. He will enlighten you and speak to you apart from and perhaps in contradiction to the word. There is no such teaching. Think of it this way. What does the Holy Spirit use today? What has the Holy Spirit given for us to cut ourselves away from sin and cut through the storms of life? Think of it, please. What has the Holy Spirit given for us to cut ourselves away from sin and cut through the storms of life? In Ephesians chapter 6, there's the answer given by Paul. Find Ephesians 6 where Paul gives us a picture of all God has provided for us. And in that equipment that is outlined in Ephesians 6, verse 17 says, The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We can be absolutely certain of that. Whatever you may not know, Whatever questions you may have, we can be absolutely certain of this. The sword of the Spirit, what the Spirit uses today is the Word of God. The Word of God was given by the Holy Spirit. Further references. 2 Peter 1.21, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 verse 12, that as the apostles delivered the gospel, it says they were preaching the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here in Ephesians 6, 17, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. When Jesus spoke to the men through whom the New Testament was given, he said the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. John 16, 13. We're talking about something we can know 
It is written in these and other passages that the Word of God was given by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God was given by the Holy Spirit. That's something we absolutely know. It is written. Now, when I talk to people about the Holy Spirit, sometimes this question will come up that I'm going to address before I conclude. And I want to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and find verse 22 in Galatians chapter 5. Somebody will say, I I've heard everything you've said about who the Holy Spirit is and what he did back in the first century and now what he does today through the Word. But, but what can I do? What can I receive? What, what does the Holy Spirit give for me that I can put in my life today? That's what I want to know, and here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, I feel sorry for this passage. It may be one of the most neglected passages in the Bible when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit. Much discussion centers on the earnest and the seal and the anointing and the gifts. Those passages excite interest and have become centers of debate. Nobody ever wants to debate Galatians 5. I've said to new Christians, put this passage at the top of your list when you start reading the Bible. Not the book of Revelation, not Leviticus and Lamentations. The whole Word of God needs a good read and study, yes. But when you first become a Christian and you take those first steps from the baptistry into real life and you begin to develop and renew your character and acquire necessary thought patterns and attitudes and dealing with God and dealing with people, this is exactly what you need from the Holy Spirit through the Word. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Other questions that you have, other questions that you have can be navigated. But this is primary. This is what the Holy Spirit has given. You want something from the Holy Spirit? You want something that will excite your best interest and get you well involved as a disciple. Read and memorize and study this passage. And if in the course of that personal study, you should say to yourself, well, what is love? What is joy? What is peace, long-suffering, kindness? Don't just sit around and wait for some kind of prompting to come into your life. Don't just Google, just keep reading and let the Holy Spirit tell you what all these things mean and how you need to put them into your life. Just keep reading. What a difference it makes in your life when you just read and study Scripture.
if you never figure out exactly the answers to all the questions that men raise, if you change your mind 15 times about some of those questions, if you never figure out what's going on behind the scenes and exactly how providence works, if you don't know perfectly about all these things, you can know exactly that the Holy Spirit uses the Word and the Holy Spirit wants you to put into your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come while we stand together to sing?